Hello, all you beautiful people. Welcome back. It's the Cypress Rye Bread Podcast. You guys, I gotta tell you, I'm getting more comfortable with this. Hopefully I'm getting better. I think I've learned quite a bit from my first two, and I'm going to go forward with uh, some different ideas, and I'm looking forward to it. Looking to keep having fun. How are you guys doing out there? You guys having a good time? I'm having a good time. So, I'm going to be cutting my segments down to 20 to 30 minutes if they're solo shows. Um, if I have a guest, then they'll probably be back to the hour longs. But from now on, the solo shows, I'm going to probably try to stick to maybe with one topic and try and cover a lot of different aspects of that topic in about 20, 30 minutes. Um, I believe this will help with the ranting. <laughs> and I'm sure a lot of people out there are like, oh, thank God. So, but I'm ready. I'm excited. Let's get into it. Today's episode of the podcast, I'm going to be talking about a law that went into effect in France in July of last year, 2018. Um, it was a, I was reading an article in the Washington Post by Hamza Shaban. I hope I said that right. Um, and France has banned smartphones and tablets in schools. So we are currently in the first year of this law, or France is currently in the first year of this law. Um, it affects kids 15 and younger. And I think that's because the adult like legal age is like 16 in France. Um, I'm not too sure, but the, it's for 15 and younger. You know, like I said, bans of smartphones and tablets. And the school, it, what they were saying is that it's a way to shield kids from addictive habits, you know, screen addiction. Hmm. Of course, there are the exceptions. Um, educational use. I mean of course. Um, and then there's like extracurricular activities for adult and people who could have any kind of learning disability or mental disability. I shouldn't say learning disability because they specifically said mentally disabled. Um, and I'll get into why that is here in just a minute. Um, France already had a prohib, uh, they've already prohibited phones being in school. And during the 27th presidential election, uh, Emmanuel Macron pledged a ban. Um, so, and apparently, this is not the first French law that tries to, I guess as Hamza put it, hold the encroachment of digital technology. For example, in 2017, in 2017 France uh, made a law called the right to disconnect. Uh, it was for French companies to draft rules that limited work emails and work-related tech outside work, you know, to reduce stress and burnouts. That's, I mean, I think people here in this country, I don't know if we have that issue. I think we're pretty good with our boundaries with work. 
I know myself, I uh, receive emails. I'm actually, I'll be on call some weekends a month and that's just part of it. And I've accepted that role in the beginning. I knew that that was a thing or I knew that that was going to be part of my job. And so I accepted that in the beginning. Well, France now is trying to limit that. And maybe it's because of the fact that people need to work and they are going, yes, I will accept that job because I need this. So France may be out to help the workers, which I mean, yeah, totally. I mean, reduce stress, burnout. I know a lot of us probably feel that way. Probably sitting at work right now, ready to just leave and just burn the place down. <laughs> so the idea that France is getting ahead on this technology um, encroachment on their society, uh, I like that word for encroachment because that's a really good way to describe it. It really is. Um, it's really, they're trying to get on top of this and it's something that we in the States have kind of lacked and I think you can start to see the effects of it. You know, there are certain things in our, uh, our laws, like we have our email privacy laws. We still date back to old uh, postmaster laws, you know, that don't even, even apply at all. And they try to connect it. There's things like that that we haven't embraced in this country yet, that countries have started to embrace. And that's kind of why I've gone into this. I had this discussion this morning with my 12-year-old, and I, she just got a cell phone. I, I'm i okay with her having a phone. You know, she can text all her friends because, I mean, we did that as kids. I don't see the problem with it. The problem I have is that all these studies that I'm seeing that are linking social media disorders in the frontal lobe or frontal cortex of a brain and how it's affecting how children are developing because of the different chemicals and signals that are being sent to your uh, brain and it's hurting your development. So I spoke with her about not so much being on the cell phone, you know, talking to her friends and texting because I don't care, but the dangers of social media and try not to get trapped into that and know when it's just people who are bullying and trying to get a rise out of you, and when it's actually something serious. Not to say that all bullying isn't serious, but of course there are different aspects of bullying that make it more serious than others. Also, uh, I spoke with her about the, the, it's called the Instagram effect, where you go on Instagram and you see all these influencers or these people on there, they're taking these photos, and you're, you're wanting that, you know, you become jealous and it's not a good thing. And you're constantly thinking these people are living these better lives and you think, why can't I live that? And that's not good for a child's development. It is good in the sense that it creates a drive to want to be better, but it doesn't help because I believe it's not good on a child's psyche to always feel like, why can't that happen to me? 
And it's nice to see that some countries are starting to get ahead on all this uh, technology and social media stuff. Like I said, uh, France's law, the right to disconnect. Um, one of the main uh, people who uh, were part of this law was a person named Benoit Hamon, who was a socialist member of the French parliament and a former French education minister. Uh, they told the BBC that they believe that it colonizes the life of the individual to the point that he or she will eventually break down. And I, I think we've all have had those moments, especially on social media where we just, as we have grown and are grown up with all this. I mean, what? It started with what, Zanga <laughs> and MySpace. And now here we are. We got Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all these different social media platforms. And we kind of grew up with it. And we've kind of watched it evolve to where it is today. And we've all had those breakdowns where we're sitting there and we'll see something that will trigger us and we lose it. Well, we need to work on that. And we think we need to bring attention to it. And I think that's what a lot of these countries such as France are doing. So, of course, with this uh, law, this uh, smartphone ban in France, uh, I asked the question to my 12-year-old when we were talking about it. I was like, how would you feel if this happened in the U.S.? And she lost her mind. <laughs> she was so offended by it. Like, well, why? Why, ha why can't... What happens if we have to call our parents? And I said to her, I was like, well, you do what we had to do when we go to the office or talk to your teacher. And she's like, well, what if something's happening in the school? And, you, you know, we can't say anything, you know, or like right, right now we can record or take photos of certain instances or how teachers are acting. And I said, that is a great point. And I do believe that teachers should be held accountable for their actions and it's sometimes very difficult to see that however i believe that's when it comes to the uh, faculty members to kind of police themselves as well as uh, board members to help police the teachers i understand there's a lot of areas in this country that are uh, more poverty stricken so getting the teachers you know finances for teachers or the availability for teachers or just being able to select teachers, you know, when they were doing these hirings, you know, is very limited because of where they're at. And so sometimes this is just, it becomes a big issue. But that's one aspect. And I do agree that is a big one. But there, and there are pros and cons to this. You know, the pros of eliminating it, obviously, it's a distraction machine. You know, there's cheating and there's obvious bullying. I mean, could you imagine if, you know, we've seen some of these movies where they'll depict bullying via social media or TV shows and they um, will put you know, like a photo of a girl or something and they'll spread around school like wildfire. And then like they'll walk out in the hallway and they're circled and everyone's laughing at them. That is a real thing that could happen. Along with, you know, cheating and distraction. And what we're finding is that the distraction is, in the last five years, has been lowering the test grades and uh, final grades and testing and things like that. Which, let's be real, I'm not going to be paying attention either 
to a very boring lecture if I've got my friends and I talking about something way more interesting. So is it the cell phone's fault or is it the lesson? I think they probably coincide. And I think if we really want this to work, or if France would really want this to work, and France is very different in their uh, education system than us, but you'll see that when it comes to like global rankings, we're very close, very neck and neck. Uh, I believe the recent one I will, uh, I'll talk about this a little later about uh, the difference you know, where we rank and we're kind of like neck and neck. We're very comparable, but yet we do things differently. Uh, the last one I saw, France was ranked ninth and the U.S. was ranked 10th. Uh, actually, no, I'm sorry, 19th and 20th. So, and that was going into the new school year, like the first quarter. So who knows where it will be at the end of the school year. But typically the U.S. and France are very similar, very close. And especially right now, how both countries are working with their education system is they are both actually taking a um, more direct approach and have started funding and looking into new ways to help students learn. Because what we have found is that uh, Gen Z, they're more hands-on. They're not as passive about their learning. And with some studies I've done, uh, you could I believe it was the Barnes and Noble College. Forbes was the one who put this out. Uh, but Barnes and Noble College did a poll about 1,500 students around the country. It said 51% learn by doing. I think that's about. I think that's about normal. I think we all learn better by doing. I don't know how it's only 51%. I would think that'd be more. But they're more. They're they're not as passive about their learning. They're not going to sit there and take in uh, these boring lectures. And what's also very interesting about the Gen Zs is how they're more career focused than the different uh, generations. Now, just uh, to give you guys an idea, Gen Z uh, is anyone who was born post-1995. And they are just now entering uh, the university and colleges. Which is also interesting because half of Gen Z high school students have college credits. And so like we know with like Gen Z and uh, thus millennial group, you know, we, the millennials are supposed to be this, uh, the bridge for the gap between uh, the baby boomers and Gen X who really didn't have the technology at their disposal like we did growing up and versus Gen Z who's, you know, they've always had this at their disposal. So the millennials were supposed to be where this bridge is at and because we can both grasp both sides. And it's very important that we have somebody like that to almost mediate conversations. Because I can't tell you how many times I'll be sitting there and my kids will be talking about something to do with whatever that they saw on YouTube or, you know, just goofing around playing video games or different video game stuff that are coming out and my parents or grandparents will have no idea what they're talking about and I'll have to explain it to them in a simplified simplified version and it's not their fault we're just more connected to it we're just more involved in it than they were just like they were more involved in way more exciting 
social things than we were, such as like Woodstock. I'm just messing around, guys. But no, I'm just I'm just saying it's there is a difference between us, and we're seeing it. Another part of this uh, Barnes and Noble college uh, research was that 44% of Gen Zers say that social media has deepened their relationships. And that's, I agree. Uh, it's, I have struggled sometimes with wanting to delete Facebook because of my connections with you know, my family or my extended family. And it's helped that relationship. So, but the difference is they've always had that. So you almost don't even know any better. Like, oh yeah, this is what we've always done. And for us, it hasn't always been that way. And for a lot of us millennials or anyone, you know, Gen X or baby boomers, you know, they have looked into it and it has helped them reconnect as well. So it has helped. There have been good aspects of it. Uh, I'm going to talk about a study that was done by UCLA, uh, which cracked me up a little bit because I'm actually in a psychology course right now learning and I've been studying this thing called the Ash Conformity Experiment. Well, the Ash Conformity Experiment was done in the 50s and what it was was that you had a group of men or a group of students and say there's five of them. Well, you're going to show, you're going to tell all five, we're going to bring you in the room, we're going to show you these graphs and you guys just have to tell us, you know, answer the graphs basically. But they would tell four of the five that the answer would be one of the uh, one of the cha- one of the choices. This was a bar graph with an A, B, and C, and they told everybody in the bar graph that the answer will be A. So when they get to this experiment and they're sitting there talking at the table, obviously it's a bar graph between which is taller. So it's, they got one, like A is like 15 centimeters, section B is 17, and section C is like 13 centimeters. And they look at this together, and they talk about it, and the four of them, the four who are in on it all say A. Well, they documented what happens with that fifth subject and how they respond. And because of conformity, they have found that either that person will go against what they believe and, you know, go and conform, even though they know that they're wrong, or they will fight them because of their beliefs and pick what they believe. So UCLA did a study kind of similar to this because it was a conformity uh, study. But what they did was they had these students and they showed them different photos, like different social media photos. And what they found is that these students would uh, conform to the likes on the photo. So if like you take like a screenshot of like a Facebook post or a tweet and it's just that and you can see where it's been liked or retweeted or commented on, their reactions, they tend to like the more photos that had the more likes, they all kind of, they all tend to conform to that. So it's not exactly the same, but it is in the same sense of you're watching how conformity is working. And what they're finding is that 
it's making our teenagers more dramatic and more easily influenced because of social media. And like I said before, the frontal cortex or the frontal lobe isn't fully developed until the age of 25. So these kids are getting all this information and they don't know how to handle it yet. Uh, one of the professors at UCLA, uh, Professor DePretto, uh, actually even said that this uh, they would show them photos depi- depicting risky behavior. And it would actually weaken the teen's be careful filter, is what she called it. <laughs> be careful filter. So, obviously, there's something there with that. Another thing about this article that I was thinking about when I was reading it, because obviously the cell phone, the tablets create distractions. And it made me think about, um, there is, I have read this before, I've actually made this argument before uh, about ADD and ADHD and how France and the U.S. both depict that. I said earlier why it's different and why this kind of matters. Um, in France, um, I was reading an article in Psychology Today about how France looks at ADHD opposed to the U.S. And in France, the kids diagnosed and medicated for ADD or ADHD is less than 0.5%. It is almost 10% in the U.S. Why is that? Well, in the U.S., child psychiatrists link ADHD as a biological disorder with biological causes. And they have the preferred treatment that's also biological. So meaning medicine, pills. French psychiatrists view ADHD as a medical condition that has psychosocial and situational causes. And they look for the underlying issue, not in the brain, but in social context. And they believe that family therapy and counseling is the better way to go about it instead of uh, what I, I best way I've heard it was like a pharmacological band-aid that masked the symptoms. France also believes that this has something to do with the diet, you know, with artificial colors and certain preservatives. And we all know here in the U.S., our diet is garbage. <laughs> and it's crazy because uh, in France, the study was first released and are the first kind of uh, psych psychiatrist review and I guess uh, like their protocol was made in 1983 and then it was updated in 88 and uh, 2000 for this but the US uh, they we encourage our clinicians are to ignore the influence of dietary factors and just go with more of there's something wrong with their brain and I don't think that's right at all 
And all kids are kids. And that's what France has kind of gotten to. It's like, listen, kids are kids. And their diet is going to change how they're going to act. Just like how we are when we're adults. I'm like, I don't know about you guys, but I get, I get hangry. <laughs> you know, where you get hungry and angry. I get that. Kids are hungry. You know, they're probably going to get angry. I mean, we've all seen it. Whoever has kids. The diet is very important. And we're seeing it more and more being an issue. But yet, here in the U.S., we don't consider dietary factors when it comes to, you know, trying to solve certain uh, either biological or medical condition. You know, it's not just uh, the way our clinicians look at all this or our psychiatrists look at all these, but also... Uh, there, of course, are different uh, philosophies of parenting between the U.S. and France. The uh, France parents, they love their kids just as much as we do. But they believe in more structure than we do. Uh, the one thing I've heard is that French people are not as rude as Americans. I mean, I think we've all heard that, that Americans are always very rude. And a lot of that has to come down to patience. In France, children are taught that you only eat four times a day. And you have to be patient and wait for those four times. Well, here in the U.S., we give our kids snacks all throughout the day. And we don't let them wait. We don't make them wait. They also look at spanking as a normal thing in France. I know here it's become more of a taboo issue, but in France they believe it is a form of uh, structure. So again, a different look on things. And it's and it's really interesting to see what's going to happen going into the future. If France does this and we watch them, and again, we're very similar on the world's rankings it's like, well, we're, you know, us in France are top 20, but it's like 1A and 1B, you know, we're right there together. So it'd be interesting to watch what goes on in the future because of these changes and how those changes could maybe help or not help us here in the U.S., which again, things that happen in different countries don't exactly help us here. But when it comes to something that's very similar as far as education-wise, it's very important to take a look at different aspects and not just be closed-minded to different ideas. This, it's, it's important for us to see what comes from this so we can learn. Um, but yeah, guys, that was easy. It's pretty quick. I do appreciate all of you for listening. I hope this helps give you guys some information. Maybe uh, you guys are going to have a conversation um, maybe tonight about this. I don't know. It'll be kind of interesting, but might have just armed you with some info. But until next time, guys, have a good one. Don't get toasted. This is the Cypress Rye Bread Podcast.